Go on then. What are we watching? Oh, what about... Uh... In the... Uh, with Sky Stream. The new way to get Sky without a dish. Stream unmissable Sky exclusives like True Detective and Netflix shows like The Gentleman all in one place. For just €25 a month for 12 months. Search Sky Stream today. New customers only. 12-month minimum term. Requires broadband. Further terms apply. Hey there. Enjoying the episode? Pretty good, right? Before we get back to it, how about a quick break to share your thoughts and win big. You could bag yourself a €500 one-for-all voucher. Ready to enter? Head to mypodcastfeedback.com, pop in the code THROW, and fill out the short survey. Too gross right now? No problem. You can also find the survey link in the show notes. Go on, make your opinion heard, and good luck. Board Gosh Energy, putting customers at the core of under-20 and senior hurling championship action. Hashtag hurling to the core. Hello and welcome to the Throw In Independent.ie's GA podcast in association with Board Gosh Energy. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined in studio, as always, by Michael Verney. Michael, hello. Will, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, a football heavy show today. No hurling. Tough uh, weekend for me. I, have I know. To say, I was yeah. going to say, how do you feel about that? Are you, you know, as, as a hurling man, you're you're known as a hurling man. I think. You know, yeah. You, you no, model yourself. You style yourself as a hurling just, man. Is that possible? Like to style know, yourself I as a hurling so. man? I think so. Uh, no, it was just yeah. There was a lot, a lot of football on. I suppose the Leinster final wasn't particularly hectic, and the Ulster final was probably a bit one-sided as well. So. Uh, I only, and I only saw bits of, of the games in Crow Park on Saturday. So, yeah, looking forward to next weekend. We get should we nearly have too much, actually. Something as well that I think is a bit mad uh, next weekend is that, you know, they talk about the promotion of the Joe McDonough and all. Like The Joe McDonough is on the same time as the Munster final. So essentially, the Joe McDonough is going to be a bit ignored. Like nobody's yeah. nobody's going to really know. It's what's ridiculous. Going on, like. like it is televised on TG Carr, so at least it, there is the facility to watch it for people who want to. But yeah, do you tell me how many people are going to look at the yeah. Joe McDonough when the Munster exactly. final is on that, the same yeah. time? Whereas, like I know there was a bit of a small bit of an uproar over moving the Munster football final to the Saturday. But if Munster or Leinster was on the Saturday, at least you take away that problem, and we'd say that Joe McDonough and Leinster have, you know, everybody's attention, and then the next, the Munster is the next day or whichever. Do you know what I mean? So I just think it's been lost a bit, and like anybody, the, the talks of the Tier Two Championship and the proposals coming out very soon. Anyone that's involved in any of those tier two football counties would obviously be looking at the John McDonough and thinking, geez, I don't want to be forgotten about next year and I want to make sure that people know what's going on and that there's a big deal about the, the tier two football. And you can't say that's the case about the hurling at the moment. Yeah, that's an interest that's the interesting thing, I guess, is what kind of promotion would this tier two, which looks certain, almost certain, to be at least tabled at that special congress. So there's a good chance it could come in, but like will it just be lost in the shuffle like the John McDonough? You'd hope it's not the tokenism that that it is probably with the hurling, to be fair, like and like even even like last night in the Sunday game, like the Laurie Marr, Nicky Rackard and Christy Rinko finals and there was, the coverage was grand. It was about 90 seconds probably in each and that's okay. But it was just like brushed over can, then after Can you answer away. why they were shooting it from the other side of the pitch? I don't, I can't understand that. No, I can't understand that. No, It's I so jarring when you're yeah, watching Croke Park and then Hill 16 is on the right and Canal End is on the Very strange. I, I don't know. I don't know why that is to be honest with you. Um, yeah, it looks, it looks different, yeah. And, uh, but just that, 
they could have talked about the games for a couple of minutes or had someone in to talk about them, you know, because there was brilliant stories. Um, as we'll mention later in the Rising Stars, there were some brilliant stories within those games. Yeah, there actually is good coverage of it in today's Indo as well, if you want to hear. I won't give away the story yet because I, I want to talk about him as my Rising Star a little later on, but that's enough hurling for the moment, Michael. It's, it's never to... enough. <laughs> never possible to it's be It's time enough. to chat football. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Donica Boyle and on the line by Kerry Legend, Tomas O'Shea. And Donica, we'll start with... You know, the Munster final, I guess, after what was a really interesting weekend uh, with, with a couple of provincial finals. But in Porky Key on Saturday night, Kerry made it seven Munster titles in a row. Uh, but they weren't overly impressive uh, in the end. I definitely think on Saturday night, if they came up against a more ruthless team, they would have been beaten. Um, I had four decent goal chances down for them in the first half. They took one. Um, they had a couple of other chances in the second half that you could deem as goal chance. Gavin White got back to make a good block. There was the goal that led to the penalty, which is also a goal chance that led from just Cork going straight down the middle of the defence. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they absolutely would have been beaten by a better team. I think it was a Sean or maybe Tomás said it on the Sunday game last night that um, that Dublin would have wiped the floor with them. And I'm, kind of, I'm inclined to agree with them. They are absolutely brilliant going forward. They have so many options, so many fellas who will do the right thing on the ball at the right time. But when it's when it breaks down and they're going back towards their own goal and they get caught out like we saw for the penalty, Cork it in behind them, they absolutely um absolutely look really vulnerable. So um yeah, they've an awful lot to, an awful lot to work on in a very short period of time. Yeah Michael, it's interesting the point Dunica raised there about maybe the vulnerability in defence because in the league they drastically reduced the amount they had conceded, you know, compared to the previous year. Yet on Saturday night, Cork, when they drove at them, did create huge amount of chances. Yeah, it looked a good bit tighter during the league. I was at, I think, two other games in the league. Did look a bit like they weren't going to be maybe exposed as much, but I suppose the, we were all kind of looking for, and Tomas has said it, and a lot of people have said it, the one thing that they needed was some sort of defensive structure and... Based on on the other night, it, it it didn't look to be evident. When you have, when you have a team maybe not with great confidence, and after going down to Division Three in Cork, like hairing down the middle and creating that amount of chances, you would have to think that that doesn't augur well for later on in the year. And now they're going into the Super Eights, probably yeah, probably not in a great kind of great frame of mind. Really, you would have been hoping. I'd say they would have been hoping for a seven day point victory and maybe no goals. Whereas now they're going in. Kind of in a maybe it's a different frame of mind than last year, but at least they're on guard, shall we say, going into the Super Eights, and they know that things are far from perfect. But yeah, there's definitely big question marks over the defence. You have to, you just, you thought there would have been a lot more change. Um, it would have been an awful lot tighter. That those chances would be minimised greatly, but it doesn't look like they have been. And Tomas, what's your read on the defensive situation? You know, Sean Cavanagh made the point alongside you last night that he doesn't think the there's a willingness to defend from some of their from some of those carry backs, but I don't know if that's fair or not. But there certainly does seem to be issues there still. Yeah, look, my own opinion is I do think that the carry management are aware that there's issues there at the back. I do think that the players are aware that there's issues at the back. I think that they're working on that, but I think it's just too easy. Like the way I can look at it from a defensive point of view from carry, it's two ways: the ball will either come in long into space, or a team will run at you. And in both areas, Kerry are weak. Kerry are weak when there's an overlap created. I think last year's Munster final, I think Kerry fell down on the car kickouts this year. I don't think that they planned to actually drop off, so they put their six forwards pushing up best they could. Cork had a spare man. They got their kickoffs off way easier. Therefore, Cork probably had at least twice as much ball as they had last year. Anytime we saw it early in the in the in the first half, anytime Kerry had possession and were driving at Cork they actually caused serious damage. Clifford, you know, um, 
he had Kevin Flaha having all sorts of bother inside. And anytime they moved the ball quickly and could get it to him, they were, they, it was okay. But I suppose, look, there are issues there. Um, you know, Donny Buckley, I said it last night, Donny Buckley has come down and from Mayo and he had a certain core group of players. I don't think, I think you can defend it in numerous ways. You either push up in the kickouts, you, you defend uh, numerically around the middle and try to slow down the ball going in and then you need your men inside. I think Peter Crowley has been a big loss. I think Kerry seriously lack a man marker inside in that full back line. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul constantly. Paul Murphy was shoved into the corner, another good attacking uh, player, uh, to allow Tom Sullivan out. Now, Tom Sullivan did serious damage. He got a goal, he got a, I think he got a point as well, and he played very, very well. Gavin White, on the opposite flank, very good going forward. The issue for Kerry, and the serious issue, is from now on, teams will be getting better. For example, Donegal, who are one of the best running teams in the country at the moment, one of the best attacking teams, yes, they defend in numbers, but by God, do they get up the field. They, they are coming down the tracks for Kerry now, and that is a serious issue for Kerry. Now, yes, Kerry did rattle 119, and that attacking play will always be positive and good as long as they have the ball. But I have serious concerns of Kerry. I think in the middle of the park, they were just ran through, and I'm not pointing out the two midfielders here, I'm pointing out the middle eight. And to be fair, like last night maybe, and I, I was picked on after for it maybe, I didn't give Cork enough credit. I mean, what they have done and what they have gone through the last few years, and we've, we've wrote articles about them, we've, we've been very hard on them inside the studio, and we didn't give them the credit. I thought, say, at the start of the second half, they created the chances in the first half, they didn't take them. They were in trouble, they didn't put their head down. I thought if they went seven or eight points down that that would be the end of Cork. They didn't. They stuck around. Kerry allowed them. That's the big thing. Kerry allowed them back into the game. And I thought in the second half, in particular, the first 10, 15 minutes, they worked way harder than Kerry did. I thought the actual match was more of a challenge game atmosphere. You know, the, the intensity wasn't there all over the pitch. And um, another thing, I suppose, Cork fellas are, are giving out about the ref. And I have to admit, I think Cork needed everything to go their way in that match. Uh, it didn't jump out at me at the time that it was a nasty game, yet any time the free count is 27 to 11 in favour of Kerry, you'd have to say, Christ, was it that Was it that obvious that Cork were that much dirtier than Kerry? I don't think so. I, was... I think a lot of marginal calls seemed to go Kerry's way. I think maybe the goalies were held to a different standard. There was a hot ball for, for, for um, Mark White delaying ball when Shane Ryan delayed a couple of times as well. And I think in a close game, Cork needed everything. But I suppose the difference was, at the end of the day, Kerry did have those clinical forwards up front who were able to take the scores. And those couple of chances where Kerrigan took one, I think, Sean White took one, and they didn't nail them. They needed them to go over. But positive for, for Cork. And look, there are positives there for Kerry, but huge question marks and huge question marks going forward because in reality, I'm not talking about Kerry winning a Munster. I know Kerry were, were going to win a Munster. It's, it's, it's about talking about challenging the top. And right now, and I said it already, you know, Pat Spillane laughed at me when I, I was saying I was trying to be cute. I don't rate Kerry in the top, top as contesting an All-Ireland this year. And look what happened above in Leinster was a farce. That championship is absolutely a farce. And I don't know how you fix it because I can't see the other teams coming up to Dublin in the next four or five years. I can't, I can't see it happening. So I don't know what's going to happen up there because, you know, it, it, like Kerry, I think Cork will come. I think Cork will come and they will get better. There was a great minor match before the senior match and, and Cork gave Kerry everything. But I can't see 
Um, you know, I, I think you'll have you'll, you'll have a dominant Munster championship in terms of Kerry being there and Leinster. I can't see I can't see anything changing up there. Like. Not in the near future. Just yeah, well, on the on the free count, I have to say, after the game, we were only made aware of that, and it was, it didn't strike me as that one sided during the game. But it, when I saw the numbers in black and white, it was fairly yeah. remarkable. Ronan McCarthy said afterwards he was asked about it, and he said, "Look, I'm just better off not off, I'm better off not answering that question," which probably said everything he needed to say. He was deeply unhappy about it. Um, but Cork, look, they, they, at halftime, the striking thing was there was six points down and there was a member of the backroom team out before the thing. He's going round shaking his fist at the boys. Like They for, didn't believe for a second they were out of the game. And that an awful lot of that belief came from the fact that Kerry looks so fragile at the back. Like They have six very good footballers in the back, in their back six. I'm not sure how many top-class defenders are in there. I think Tyg Morley did quite well. He was, But it was kind of fingering the damn stuff sometimes with him like he was emerging at the last minute Jason Foley had his moments but I suppose people I know he's been rated in Kerry for a long time and maybe just hasn't I don't know is that fair to Moss he just hasn't come on as quick as maybe people would have expected him to come on um, Yeah look I I think the, the, the art the, I know what you're talking about like they're all very comfortable footballers they're all great kickers of the ball and they're all stylish footballers when in position but I think that art of marking in space and the art of actually, there's more, like, they all talk about the skills of hurling. I'm telling you right now, to actually mark a man, like Mark O'Shea, Tom Sullivan, Johnny Cooper is probably the best in the game at the moment. But those types of players are, are thin in the ground all over the country, in my mm. opinion, because of the style of defence that has come in in the last 10 years. But certainly in Kerry, I don't know, have we got one very good player to do that? Not even one. Who is the, who is the go-to man there, Tomas? Is it, like, Paul Murphy seemed to be Well, Peter the... Crowley was, was the go-to yeah. man. Like, your 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 go to man has to be in the full back line because they are the dangerous forwards, right? But your go to man right now, inside there for the league was Peter Crowley. He was put back. He was marking the main uh, forwards in every game they played in the national league. He was the guy to do it. Uh, I think Thomas Sullivan was put in then in the the league final, but like Thomas Sullivan can do a job. He did a job on Jason McLaughlin, um, but I, I I right now I don't know who your go to man is. Like the, the McManus goal last year was just an absolute caption of what happens if the ball goes in long. The Mayo game in the semi-final, where they ran through them in the replay a couple of years ago, was another example. It's not just one area. It's two areas. I think defensively there's issues. And thinking about it like it, it doesn't give me great pleasure. And I'm not trying to attack the management. They are young. They will get better. There's no doubt about that. But right now, the type of player like, and you hark back to whatever teams that were in the past, that ability to slow down players around the middle. There is an ability there, right? Rory Dean coasted in the middle there. Last night I showed on the Sunday game. He wasn't stopped, even though there were bodies that could have stopped him. He wasn't. And if you're not doing that outside, then inside the spaces are going to open up. And Kerry aren't alone in that they are exposed at the back. You know, there's a lot of teams that are in the same boat. But fellas are tipping Kerry for All-Ireland's and, you know, you have to wake up and smell the coffee. It's not all about having forwards. It's about having a solid defence. If you, you can't, you have to start with your solid defence. And it's a, it's a work in progress. I'm glad it happened now and not in the Super 8s again like it did last year. Well, that's interesting, Michael. This Tomas gives such a blunt view there, I guess, if they're all our credentials. Like, going into the Super 8s, would you still have Kerry as the nearest challenger to Dublin? Or do you think they've slipped down behind maybe Donegal, who they'll also have to play in the Super 8s? Yeah, you could. There was there was three or four teams there where there was very little between them. You'd have to say that Donegal have, have have taken a step up and probably Kerry have taken a step back based on most of what we've seen with Donegal. And again, yesterday, 
you'd have to say I think they're the they're the clearest All Ireland challengers to Dublin. They they can put up the scores. They can play it kind of a couple of different ways. They can score from outside. They have really dangerous side in line. They do concede a bit as well. But when you play that sort of style where you're putting up one twenties and these big scores, you are going to concede a bit as well. But I'd have to say Kerry are probably after slipping back, and I'd, I'd have Donegal as the as the most realistic contenders after the weekend. Anyway, there was one. Will sorry. There was one really good good thing for Kerry out of the weekend that when Ganey got sent off, and Paul Ganey, I would say, maybe just off the top of my head, after David Moran, was probably the most experienced player. He was on a yellow, picked up a black. It was it was silly. Like It was really, really just didn't, wasn't using the head at all at that moment. And when Kerry went down to the 14 men, they actually probably defended better in that last 15 minutes than they had for the, the previous 50-odd minutes because... Um, they, they, all of a sudden, they, uh, they knew what they had to do or they certainly started acting like they knew what they had to do and they clogged up the middle. And when their backs were to the wall, they responded in the right way. Stephen O'Brien was very good in that period and I give him man of the match on the basis of what he produced in that period. And more importantly, I think Clifford really stood up. Like second season, and we, like we talk about him a lot, but like it, he was really on the pressure there and he still produced some big moments. So when their backs were to the wall, they absolutely delivered and they dug it out. And Tomas, I think yeah, your brother Dara no doubt helped Cork's preparation by completely writing them off during the week saying he didn't think they had a chance of uh, winning the game. He didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people, you, anybody would be, it's very hard to trust that Cork team. Like the only people spouting that they were in a good place, that they were going to give a performance for the Cork players themselves. And it was a case of twice bitten, seven times shy kind of a thing with the Cork lads. But I do think, I think that the, the start that Kerry got led them into a false sense of security. And I, I, I'm not saying they switched off, but it's certainly, they didn't, they weren't as tuned in. They thought this was going to be a coasting ride again. And they actually allowed the, the standard, not the standard, but I suppose the intensity levels, they didn't squeeze as much as they should have been squeezing. They should have gone for them really then. And it didn't. Now you probably have what you had last year, which is no good to carry. I think this has probably benefit carry a lot more. I'm not saying that we should be a more defensive team. But you have to, and I'm not saying you should have eight, nine, ten bodies situated back there, no. But you still have to have a solid core defence to build on. And uh, what I mean by that is actually defenders that can stop teams running at you or kicking long ball in shot or marking players one-on-one. That's what I'm saying. And I, I, you have to give credit again. Like David Clifford was outstanding last night. I don't know how many possessions, how many kicks he got, but he nearly used it every single time. Like you know, And when you have that threat up front, and Ganey was quiet, but, you know, give him time. Although, you know, he's been quiet now for a couple of games. Is that a worry, James? I don't know. Is that a worry that he's not in there? If you're relying on Clifford alone, Sean O'Shea was possibly a quiet day, even though he tried so hard to get himself into the game. He was actually running himself into the ground, trying to get him inside, forcing himself into the game. So, look, I do think they're in a, they're in a, the Super 8s. They're in the front door. They're going to have a home game. They have time to get it right. But I know well what they're going to be focusing on trying to get it right. And just to move on to maybe some of the other games now, Michael, Tomas referred to the Leinster Championship as being a farce, like the atmosphere in Croke Park yesterday. Even though there was probably a slightly bigger crowd than expected, it was still very poor. It was a strange game with Mead only kicking one point in the first half and, you know, 14 Leinster titles in 15 years. No matter how much Jim Gavin tried to dress it up, it was like winning a first one for some for them, he said. Like, as an event, it was a non-entity. If that was what it's like to win your first, then I don't know. If that was the <laughs> reaction to it, I think someone had a someone, someone uh, made a comparison between Cluxton and Father Stone from Father Ted collecting the cup. Like, it was just like, it's just become the norm. It's it's so regular now. These kind of hammerings are just like, 
just expected every time it was in a Leinster Championship game and in these big games like whatever chance Mead had they had to take their chances and to just the, the shooting boots were left well at home it was just a, an awful kind of display in front of the goals it was a weird game with a weird atmosphere and like 5-1 at half time and poor crowd it's all it all just kind of I think probably yesterday was probably just everything that's probably bad about the Leinster Championship mm. everything that is you know the Leinster Championship the culmination just, yeah, just, like yeah pretty much yeah, and it's kind of it was just that that was kind of what everyone has been talking about for the last good while just kind of was summed up in yesterday everything the crowd the, the the events on the pitch the competition being thrown at Dublin or the lack of competition being thrown at Dublin how they can just hit another gear and just pull away from teams it was, it was just yeah as a, as a as a spectator it was just a disaster yeah and a lot of the focus in the aftermath because I, I know there was an article on RT that, w- that day when they talked to Tom Ryan and John Coslow about the whole issue of funding and the population in Dublin and how it's getting bigger and how basically the, the advantages they have that, that kind of became the focus afterwards like what, what's your view on that whole debate you know in terms of how much money they, like, they have been getting and just how much I guess bigger the population's become and set to become coming forward we probably need a separate podcast to get into <laughs> it right to be honest with you like it's it's such a multifaceted multi-layered argument and there's no silver bullet to say that this is what should be done or what shouldn't be done um I think everyone agrees at this point, and even the GA's top brass have sort of said it in a certain amount of way, it's very hard to justify, since, is it 2005, the date, the 17 or 16.5 million in the difference in terms of coaching and games development fund. It's very hard to justify that in any way, no matter what way you break down the numbers. Um, But look... Again, how much is that? How relevant is that to this particular team and how these fellas came through the ranks? It's probably limited enough, to be fair, but they are backed, I would suggest, in the way that no other football team have been in history because money is more relevant now to setting up a team uh, and, and getting it in the best possible position than it ever has been. And uh, like Dublin have no shortage of that in comparison to anyone else. But going back to the game, the, 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 like, as a Mead man, as was a me, tough yeah, to look, watch. It, was, it was tough to watch. Like, Mead needed to do what, what Cork did. Like Cork were, in most people's mind, always going to lose that match, but they lost it and they came out with something. Mead needed to do something similar. Like They have made a lot of progress this year and they were probably always going to lose that match, but they needed to lose it and somehow manage to retain some sort of momentum. And I don't think that's happened. Like four pints in 60 minutes, 12 rides, handful of drops short, couple off the post. Like, And it just felt like as Dublin leaned on them more and more they cracked and I think what people wanted to see was just maybe a bit of defiance right till the end and they just couldn't because Dublin are so good and they're so far ahead and like they tried they absolutely tried and in fairness to the mid-full back line they, you know, they, they stood up well enough for long periods considering what was coming at them um, but just just like it comes down to just quality of player and Dublin have so many good players and the, their top scorer started on the bench Dean Rock came off and kicked four points yeah, Tomas, I guess the, the disappointing thing of, of how the game unfolded was that Meek got promoted to Division 1 this year, so, you know, essentially they're now a top-8 team, yet the gulf and class seem to be a chasm. Um, yeah, look, I suppose the gulf so far this season between the Dubs and the rest of, of, of the country, everybody's pinning their hopes on Donegal. You know, any team that seem, t- tends to be doing well, we're pinning their hopes on them. You know, it was Tyrone for a while, it was Mayo for a while, it was Kerry for a while, and because of the way they've performed so far in the Championship, there's question marks all over it. But, yeah, I do think, like, when you see Meath going up to Division 1, and then it, it gives the argument, right, also the tiered championship would work well if Meath were one of those top-tier teams, like, that there wouldn't be one-sided battles. I think when the dubs are involved, there's one-sided battles everywhere, and especially in Leinster. There's six, I think, of those Leinster teams 
uh, left in the last 16. And, you know, I suppose there's just a huge gap between Dublin and the rest of the country at the moment. And until a team like everybody who say, I, I didn't enjoy that game, to be honest with you. Uh, normally, when you're watching Dublin, there's something to, to marvel at in terms of the skill, in terms of the way they, even in their hammerings that they dish out. But on that first half, to be fair to me, they stuck with them they, at the back. But the Dubs were making simple, basic mistakes themselves, which they tidied up in the second half. But yeah, it is. Look, there's a huge gulf and difference between Dublin. You take Dublin out of the championship as as a, as an All Ireland, and it's hard enough to pick a winner out of it. Very hard to pick a winner out of it. It's not hard to pick a winner right now because the Dubs are, in my opinion, odds on to to, to take a, a, a five in a row. And you know the argument with Cash and all that. Look, it's it's. I think it's a sideshow. I think these Dublin players won't be one bit. Uh, kind of derailed by that kind of talk it is a, I think it is a, a, a chat the, the issue I'd have with that is straight and, and simple are Dublin getting more money than they're entitled to if they are it's wrong like that's the issue I would have with it I mean you cannot control a club in Dublin getting sponsorship enough sponsorship uh, with the numbers that they have and and employing um, and employing a coach but if Dublin are getting money directly from the GAA that other counties in the country aren't getting, then there is an issue. And I actually, and I'd be, I'd be wrong in saying it, I don't think, I'm not blaming Dublin here. I don't think Dublin are looking for this extra money or whatever. But I do, I've heard that there was a time when there was a regeneration of Dublin football needed for the whole country. Because if Dublin, and there is that argument out there, Dunica mentioned that it, it's multifaceted. There is an argument that the rest of us do, you know, we are better off when Dublin are going well. And I think way, way back when Dublin were going very, very poor, was there an investment from the Sports Council into Dublin? Was that investment dropped by the Sports Council and was it carried on by the GA and is it still being paid by the GA? Mm. That's, look, I don't know. If it is a case that Dublin are getting money they don't deserve, I don't think they should be so getting it. I think they the have plenty. Like, I don't have an issue with this Dublin team. I, I, I think that the, all the arguments that there's so much work on in there, I've no doubt in that. And it's going on around all the country. But that's the only issue. I don't have, like in the capital city with the numbers, with the sponsorship, everything like that, it's all going to filter into Dublin. There's no doubt about that. How do you stop it? I'm not sure. Can you stop it in any way that way? But the question I'd have is, do they get money that other counties don't get? Is there an imbalance there? And is it right or wrong? And if it is, the, I don't think the, the question is there as well. What, sorry, Tomas, what metric do you use to say whether there's an imbalance or not? Like, do you go per head of population, per number of clubs? Like, I've seen different arguments breaking it down to fund them down in different ways, which suggests it's not as lopsided as it is. And if you break it down in yeah. a different way, it looks grossly overstated. So I'd like yeah. to know what the GA's sort of strategic policy was. Are we going on, is this, is this based on recruiting playing numbers I think John Costello said that in the piece in RTE yesterday like if it is on playing numbers there probably is something they looked at there I think he said there was up on 48% maybe increase in playing numbers and that automatically feeds into feeds into the senior team because the broader the base of the pyramid the higher the pyramid can be built so it's it's very uh, look uh, it's the kind of thing that it's I'm become not... an issue over 10 years it's the kind of thing that would take another 10 years to sort of rebalance mm. Yeah I'm not trying to store things when I say that like you know I, I, I don't think that Say, I mean, if if the dubs are are doing what they're doing, there's I don't really have an issue with it uh, per se. But like, 
it's it's kind of strange. I think if there was really, really, there'd be facts, and you see all these guys on Twitter and they're arguing about it and they're talking about that they have an, an unfair advantage and probably is there facts and figures that back that up? Like what Dunnock is saying there, there in terms of, of, say, per head or per capita or how, what way it's balanced out. Give us the facts and give us the numbers that prove that the dubs are getting a, a, a wrong amount of money. And to me, I haven't seen them so far. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. Like you see, as Dunnick says, I'm pretty sure the numbers that look crazily unbalanced in the media. Like, is there an argument? And why, why isn't that argument? Why isn't it all just discussed and put out on a table and just explained and just say, right, lads, this is what's happening. They aren't getting more than they deserve. Like, just, just clear the accounts. Yeah, like a, Trump says, have, show them up. <laughs> I have Sean McGoldrick here from the Sunday World and he tweets this out pretty regularly and this is from earlier this year uh, coaching a game development grant uh, Dublin 17.9 million next on the That's list it, is Cork yeah. at 1.4 now again what is the metric what's the reasoning behind that look uh, again that's from 2007 as Kieran Whelan pointed out yesterday how much impact has had that on this group of players you have to be very careful not to run down a group of players because of what's been done centrally oh, yeah, they are yeah, absolutely uh, yeah I agree with you attempting to run down no, the players or um, the ability or the, they are the management or anything in that regard not a hope I, 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 I wouldn't go that road at all but I mean another thing that has to be taken into account and you know I spoke to a guy in Dublin yesterday about it if they want to like they have serious problems with numbers and it's a problem that we'd love to have out the country, right? But then they have, they're have they going to the flip side. They need more space. Every single bit of land, the rent is crazy high. Buying a, a, a pitch for them, I think last year was $8 million or something. That, that That's what they were yeah, priced on. Well, they yeah. obviously couldn't afford it. It is crazy up there in that regard. And I guarantee you, I'm giving my argument, but you have to find a balance. I'm pretty sure there's a good argument on the other side. And all we're hearing all the time is from the naysayers who are saying there is an imbalance. If there is an imbalance, correct it and let us move on. Jesus, we have a load of land down in Offaly if people want to come down. We have a world of land, green areas everywhere. <laughs> um, well, thanks very much to Tommaso O'Shea for joining us. And Michael, just on Donegal, you mentioned them a little bit earlier on, but you know they seem to be a really complete team at the moment. You have McBrady and Jamie Brennan firing up front, Michael Murphy's being very influential, and then you have McHugh and Bon Gallagher bombing forward from the back. Yeah, kind of as I was saying earlier, they kind of have it everywhere. They have that really, really dangerous inside line. Uh, Brennan, when Murphy is in there as well, Patrick McBurty does look back to his best. It's a year, I suppose, to the day that he did his cruise shit and he was absolutely flying around yesterday. They can also take points from distance, which means that if a team is sitting back maybe with a blanket of sorts, that they can kick basically over it and kick long distance points, which is huge. As you said, like the boys coming forward from the back, Owen Bond and, and Ryan McHugh, it offers that speed through and breaking lines as well. And just on Jamie Brennan um, he has to be one of the most economical kickers in, in the history of Gaelic football because he just he doesn't need a backswing to kick like <laughs> most people will take a backswing and their leg will follow through and up around their shoulder he just takes this little tiny little backswing and is still able to generate the force needed from anywhere inside 30 or 40 yards like and he's absolutely flying he's 3-1 uh, to one to win an All-Star still so thank me later <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like and that's that was kind of maybe what they needed a couple of lads to kind of step up. He was there last year, um, had a, an impact, but he's having a massive impact consistently throughout all of their games, and that's taken a bit of pressure off Murphy. It's taken a 
a bit of pressure off McBrearty. It means now that when they go playing teams, they're not just looking at Murphy or they're not looking at McBrearty, that they have to be looking at three or four forwards and they have to be looking to make sure that they don't leave um, some of the big hitters like Thompson and Langan uh, shots from 50 yards as well. So they have a lot, a lot going for them. Just listen to some of the commentary even and some of the comments that were made. Um, like Stephen Rochford's influence, everyone seems to be lauding yeah. his influence, and even very, very yeah, vocal in the warm up. I think before one of the matches as well, like he was kind of running the warm up. Yeah, well. and I think even like going around collecting cones and <laughs> yeah. like that after, which which is great to see. Like it's obviously someone who's who has no idea of his of his importance really, and just is going around doing whatever needs to be done. Then you have Carl Lacey, who's like lauded as a really good coach as well, and obviously kind of Bonner kind of steering the ship too. So they seem in a really good place now. Um, Obviously, the Super 8s is a little different now. They're not going to play in Dublin and Crow Park like they were last year in the first game. So you'd imagine, you'd imagine I'd be surprised if they weren't in, in All-Ireland semi-final. And the way things are going, I think they, they, they'd fancy their chances. And chatting to Carol Lacey a couple of weeks ago, they just said they just wanted to be in a position where they could get a crack at Dublin. So I'd imagine they're going to be in a good position when they get to that stage. Yeah, are they the number two you know, in the country at the moment for I you? think so, after the weekend, that whatever... If there was any question mark over whether Donegal was second or third, I think that was answered. Uh, probably was probably answered on Saturday night, to be honest with you, when Kerry were, were sort of fell over the line against Cork. Um, yeah, Donegal looked. They seemed to have a bit of everything. They have top class forwards. They have really athletic players. They have a defensive plan. Like they still get a lot of bodies behind the ball. Um, they have a keeper now who uh, Peter Canavan did it in Friday's paper. I think it was twenty three out of twenty four they retained. Um, in the uh, in the game against and they're not uh, normal kickouts. They're, they're not like shark. No, they weren't sure. Right. I think he had. I think he had four. Peter had fourteen of them. Went beyond the forty-five and they retained every one of them. So like to have some ferocious physical men around the middle too. They seem to be able to play it a bit every way. The only thing I will say that yesterday, if they come up against the likes of Dublin, they're not going to have the joy on Stephen Cluxton that they had with Raymond Galligan yesterday they really got after him and put him under pressure um, like he I think it was uh, Colin Keyes has it here in his match report they lost uh, 7 after 18 in the opening half like that's that's low retention um, for you know you want to be getting probably another 4, 5, 6 yeah. of them anyway and like you know, there's a good chance Cluxton would only give you one or two in a match. So look, um, but yeah, they're they're in a great they're in a great spot. Um, that Super Eights group, like the that'll be a great game themselves and Kerry, and looking forward to seeing that. Um, but you'd have to say at the minute Donegal are are number two and probably feel themselves that they're progressing in the right way and, and coming good at the right time. They've kind of changed the, the demographic of the, the Ulster Championship as well in the last two years. Like I, 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 I'm not sure if you went through their average scoring in the Ulster Championship. I'd say it's up close to 118, 119 in the last two years. been putting up serious scores. And whereas Ulster was always kind of known as a you know, 15, 13, a 12, 11, they've totally changed the way the game is played now. And other teams are kind of looking at that as well, even the likes of Cavan and Armagh, even in their games as well. Teams realise now, in order to beat the Donegals or these, you're going to have to put up a serious score. And I think it's it's kind of refreshing, probably the way they're going about it. They're going about it. Um, they're going about their business with a long-term goal in sight, knowing that to beat Dublin, they're going to have to put up, you know, a two sixteen or two seventeen, and that's fairly admirable as well. Mm. And we also had the qualifier draw for round three today. Troops, some very interesting games. We have Mayo versus Armagh, Kildare Tyrone would probably be the two heavyweight clashes. And then Westmead, Clare and Lee Shoffley. Your own County Offaly after beating Sligo got a very favourable draw. Yeah, your prediction of maybe, uh, <laughs> what was your prediction? I, ta- to I, beat thought they, I thought they might beat Galway in the round four, yeah. They have a great chance. I, near, I nearly would have preferred uh, a more a, a difficult draw because if... 
we've been beaten by Leash, uh, not Leash actually, we've been beaten by Westmead a lot kind of recently and you kind of your season just ends on a bit of a kind of a damn squib whereas if you were to play Mayo and it was, you know, John Martin versus Mayo and you're beaten by four or five points and it's a massive crowd in Tullamore or whatever, your year, your year kind of finishes on a better note but it is a massive opportunity for them. Like, theoretically, we were just chatting about off-air, if they were to beat Leash, they'd be playing either Cork, Cavan, uh, Galway or uh, Mead. No, they can't. They can't play Mead. Oh, sorry, they can't play Mead because yeah. they played them, yeah. play them already. So they yeah, played no repeat parents in the fourth. So round, like, yeah. like, awfully against Cork, like awfully against Cavan, maybe a bit more difficult. Jeez, to this is big talk, isn't it? Years. It is big this talk. Big talk. It's yeah. big talk, and the problem it kind is of your prediction kind of went under the radar. I can't, I almost like yeah. didn't register with me because it was so outlandish. It didn't register at me, or to be honest, until one of the lads said it after. But kind of there's optimism in awfully, and that's always a dangerous thing. Anytime there's been optimism, they tend to get beaten. I think they'll beat Leash. Well, um, one, like you're right. Like one of Westmead and or Clare and Leash and Offaly are going to be one game away from the Super Eights. So you know, if yeah, if, if I, either of them got like again, depending on how say the likes of Mead react, you know, Mead could be vulnerable in their in the their round four match. The stats for beating Leinster are absolutely atrocious in the last. Yeah, because they've usually yeah. beaten Leinster finalists have usually been through the middle, like you know. Yeah. So they're licking wounds, and by the time it comes back round, and like that's if 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 it was say Westmead or Clare getting a shot at. Say Mead, they'd be licking their lips for that. Yeah. There's a great I think it was 09 yeah. was the last time I like I beaten Leinster finalists made the yeah, quarter final. I think Kildare, so, yeah. I think Kildare got it. So um, sorry, yeah, no, it's like the the first the top two games are two absolute belters. Games, and I bought on television. I just saw the Dunica WhatsApp me the fixture list during the uh, during the podcast. I think it's is it Armagh uh, Mayo at seven and Tyrone Kildare at five. Kildare and 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 Tyrone at five. So um, in Newbridge, that's to, in Newbridge. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's uh, Sky. Dodged last weekend, uh, they could have picked a game and they didn't. And in fairness, them it's probably worked out pretty well. Kildare and Tyrone will be that'll be a great game. Yeah. I think. Like I think Kildare, I saw them in the Longford game. They have an awful lot of good things about them. Yeah. Like they have really good forwards and they have Kevin Feely, who's one of the best fielders of the ball in the game when he's on form. And they have they have physical development. They're they're athletically superb. Like I've stand, I've stood outside a lot of dressing rooms and you see the shape of these boys. Kildare on top top Nick. Um, so and Newbridge like they <laughs> Newbridge yeah, so yeah. Last going year, to well, war again so um, and, and like Mayo like you really don't know what you're getting Mayo and they're actually not that good in Castle Bar sometimes so they're very they're they're record, record, record in Castle Bar well. so yeah. like yeah but look this is this is great now because you're in the time of the year where there's like proper matches against two really good teams like Armagh no joke like I saw yeah. them against Cavan they were probably unlucky they missed three goal chances in the first half including Jamie Clark yeah. who you'd put your house on he missed a, what was effectively a one on one so they have a really good team they were brilliant good the other night forwards. they were brilliant the other night they, like. they have three really good forwards Campbell uh, O'Neill Campbell, O'Neill and Clark and like if you get them enough ball you're you're in with a shirt Yeah they play such good football as well like they do have a kind of propensity to self-destruct sometimes towards the end of games like they shoot themselves in the foot very regularly Yeah a small bit yeah and like if they had beaten Cavan a Lunster final would have been would have been huge for them but the way that the, the way they play is so good in the eye even the Roscommon game last year in the last round of the qualifiers and all their games this year they just seem to put up huge scores and create an awful lot of goal chances Um, like if if they can get all, if they were to get over Mayo and the more than uh, Kildare and Tyrone as well, if K- Kildare has kind of been plodding along with say all this year, if they beat a Tyrone, they're in round four, they're one step away from the Super Eights, and they've a load of momentum behind them. Same for Armagh as well. Armagh is going to be a little bit tougher, you would imagine, against Mayo, but two massive, massive ties, and as Dunica said, that's what you want to be looking forward to at this stage of the year. And just looking ahead slightly to maybe the, the composition of the Super Eights group, Dunica, like it'll be very interesting to see that round four draw because it'll determine who goes into what group, and you could end up having 
kind of a lopsided enough Super 8 draw where you might have all the, like Kerry, Donegal, Galway and maybe Mayor or Tyrone in one group and could have Dublin, Roscommon yeah. and Dub- you know, um, I think Offaly Ca- yeah, Offaly Cavan <laughs> <laughs> um, and Cork potentially Cavan right? and Cork yeah so that's like and if you're Dublin you're looking at that and I do think that throughout this year we've kind of lost sight of the, we, in the, all the five in a row talk I think we've kind of lost sight of sort of the reality of things Dublin were by far and away the best team in the football championship that last year no one really laid a glove on them except maybe for Tyrone and Oma other than that they weren't really asked too many questions and I think with the prospects of the five and all the history that comes with it we sort of started convincing ourselves that maybe there was you know teams were coming for them and they were gunning for them and there there was someone who was going to come with a challenge and we lost sight of the fact that Dublin were comfortably the best team in the country last year comfortably and if if no one has waved the magic wand to cut that gap so yeah they, they could quite easily be in the All-Ireland semi-final like you could see them winning most of those games by 8, Ten. 10, 12 points yeah. and they're in the All-Ireland semi-final let's say it's against Kerry or Donegal uh, they finish top 2 whichever way they finish in their group you know it, it, the road has opened up for them big time and, and it's as much to do with how good they are and how far ahead they are and because we are sort of like I think we're sort of wishing for a championship mm. and there's not a whole lot of evidence outside of Donegal to suggest that there will be much of one. Uh, one other bit of kind of news in the weekend was Maliki O'Rourke stepping down after seven seasons with Monaghan. He's had a great time there, to be fair. Like, you know, over, probably overachieved what he's done. Yeah, started in Division 3, uh, got them up to Division 1. I, I think it was in the first two back, years. Back promotions, yeah. yeah. And then, like, really, really competitive in Division 1. And a lot of teams, as we've seen the last couple of years, you win Division 2, you go into Division 1, you go back to Division 2, you come back to Division 1, back, you flip-flop. They've stayed consistent the whole way through. Um, he made them really, really hard to beat. And like there were five quarter finals yeah, in the seven seasons. They were a point away from being an All Ireland final last mm. year as well. Do you know what I mean? Like and they were I think it was their first All Ireland semi final in the goods of thirty years as well. So massive, massive progress. And we've kind of talked about for what they have available to them. It's not the biggest county. There's not a, you know a huge amount of clubs. There's not a huge amount of players available to them. But he. I would say he maxed out on everything he had available Absolutely, to him, which is yeah. which Almost is fair going. Won an Ulster title for Man as well. Got to yeah, do a replay and sixty something thousand people. Like I remember doing, I think to beat Kerry last year in the league. And I remember doing a piece of them. Like if you evacuated the whole county, they wouldn't fill a pro bar. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. and they won two Ulster titles. They won Division Three. You know, they really are in terms of it's a loaves and fishes job. Like Vinnie Corrie was still playing the other day. I think Vinnie's thirty six. Yeah. Um, so, um, like, he's like, a remarkable servant and they really have wrung everything out of themselves. I saw them against Fermanagh in the, in the qualifier the last time and they just look, they're a team that are really tough and streetwise and they're based on absolute endeavour and hard work and a little bit of talent, would say, the likes of McManus and all that, but first and foremost, they work really hard and they just look tired that mm. day. They just look like a team who just... It was interesting last night in some of the games as well. Sean Cavanagh said that he thinks that Malika Rooks' phone will be hopping immediately with offers from maybe other counties. Like, would you expect to see him back in inter-county management? Seven years is a long stint. I wouldn't be surprised. He, he's a lot of credit in the bank, so if he wants to take a year and go on, like I suppose that's entirely up to himself. Like he, I know he doesn't live too far from Clahan, which is Monaghan's training base, so you know that was relatively straightforward from him. Um, but where he could go then afterwards like with with a lot of travel and all that I don't know um, but yeah he's very highly rated and as I said it's what he's done with Monaghan and that speaks for itself 
I might finish off with our board gosh energy rising stars of the week slot, Michael. I don't know. If yeah, you... no, I have three, a three actually. Oh, um, two of them hurling. So I just thought it was hilarious <laughs> after Leitrim won the Laurie Mars high drama in Crow Park there Saturday. Uh, after extra time, it was two twenty three to two twenty two against Lancashire. But they were getting their their team photo after on the pitch, and they were all there. And there was some uh, Crow Park fella came over to the, the Leitrim captain and was like, "Come on, you you need to go." And they were all celebrating. He was sitting down in front of the goalie. He's like, "You need to go here for the presentation." And he basically just told him to do one <laughs> just because they were just you could just see how much they were enjoying it and that mm. he's actually from uh, Lura in Tipperary originally just close to me back home and it was a massive win for them and then the other one of the other ones would be Sligo winning the the uh, Nicky Rackard which is phenomenal because they're gone up to the Christie ring now playing awfully yeah, next they year play awfully, but they're from they're still in Division 3B of the league so theoretically they're still within the, fir- the, the four worst counties in Hurling in league terms and it's just phenomenal they got two goals in injury time uh, their two goals are actually got by Gerard O'Kelly Lynch the dual player who played Sunday for the footballers as well and then the last one is Reen O'Neill from Armagh who did the John Cena like celebration any man who brings in a bit of wrestling and Tommaso fair play to him he's down with all the cool kids obviously yeah well my rising star of the week is actually well he's not that young but I just thought it was a nice story it was another Leitrim runner Zach I think Maradi is yeah, his name yeah, yeah, yeah he came to uh, Ireland from Iraq when he was 11 I think and you know here he is you know winning a big game in Croke Park with his county which was great to see and he's actually based in Dublin as well so he drives back from Dublin to Leitrim two or three times a week to hurl which is phenomenal as well he works, in, works up here the last few years yeah it's phenomenal it was great win for them yeah because yeah, really they don't is. get to they don't get to win in either football or hurling in Crow Park too often so it was a savage win yeah another uh, kind of it shows how much it means to them so at least it will give you hope maybe if it was a tier championship brought in football next season that they will be treated with the same kind of enthusiasm and excitement done again any, any young rising stars um, not necessarily that young but certainly a man who won't hear a lot about when Cork got their house in order Rory Dean was really, good really exceptional the other night and he's sort of one I think that not really on the national consciousness yet because I suppose Cork have struggled a little bit and they've gone down and players and those good players don't necessarily get that sort of attention but he's really good the other night time coming on to the ball at the right times really makes good decisions more or less all the time um, he did like serious damage in the final last year against him as well and he got blackguarded yeah, yeah. after about 15 yeah, minutes yeah so he's, he's just one I think that as Cork if and when Cork improve I think we'll be talking about him as one of the I think if Ronan McCarthy referenced him last uh, on Saturday night after the game as, as one of the top 10 footballers in the country if I remember correctly so you know that's that's high praise and like he looked he looked apart the other night well, a football-heavy show this week. We'll check in with Offley's Fortune to see if Michael's prediction lives on next week. But for the moment, Michael Dunica, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Will. That's all we have time for the Throwing in Association with Borgosh Energy. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another great podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening, and goodbye. Board Gosh Energy, putting customers at the core of under-20 and senior hurling championship action. Hashtag hurling to the core.